You know, um, we're doing a series on marriage called The Mystery of Marriage, if you're just joining us today. And there's probably few areas where Christians think more like the world than in the area of marriage. You know, when it comes to marriage, I think there are some who think of marriage like a contract. And, uh, you know, some go as far as to make prenuptials. And so if this thing doesn't work out, you know, you get this and I get that. So, you know, it's kind of a contract that's been made between two people. uh, And then we figure out how we're going to work that thing out. The majority of people... And I think even Christians think of marriage as a greater commitment. So we move from dating, and I'm going to raise up my commitment to you, and we're going steady. I don't know if that's the words they still use today. It was an item for a while. It keeps changing. I'm not up on every latest word, but now you're my special date. And then you move from that place, we're going to raise that commitment from that special one I'm dating to now I'm engaged to you where someday I'm promising to marry you, then eventually we get to the place where that commitment moves up to a thing we call marriage. Well, the Bible does not look at marriage like a contract, and it doesn't look at it like a commitment, but it looks at it like a covenant. Now, that's something that most of us don't understand because that's not a word we use a lot in our culture. It's not something we interact a lot with, with having a covenant with someone. And so there's very little understanding of what a covenant is. But if we understand as Christians who believe in the word of God, the day you got married or the day you're going to get married is the day you've entered into a covenant, And when you understand the covenant, you understand the nature of everything about my life has changed from that moment on and is defined by that covenant. Matter of fact, we see in Scripture, Malachi 2.14 says this, The Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Marriage is a covenant. Going to Proverbs chapter 2, speaking about the adulterous wife, who uh, he says this, who leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Marriage is a covenant. And I got a tall order this morning because my heart and my desire is to see the way that you think transformed at the core of your being, that you see marriage through a new paradigm. You see, because here in North America, you know, I can get at the end and say, here are the three things I want you to do this week. You see, in North America and even the contemporary North American church, we think change comes from new and greater commitments and better choices. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches change comes because of a changed way of thinking. The renewing of your mind transformed. Transform means to change at the core of my being. And when I change the way I think about something, everything flows out of that in my actions. You've heard that saying, you know, sow a thought and you reap an action. 
Sow an action, you reap a habit. Sow a habit, you reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. It all starts with our thinking. And when we change the way we think, guess what? All my commitments and all my choices flow out of that and come naturally. So I'm not there day by day saying, okay, now I got to make the right choice today and I got a hundred choices to make and I better make each one right. But rather because I've changed the way I think about marriage and I see it as a covenant. Choices are obvious that I have to make. It's just a matter of living it out. So this morning, we want to understand marriage as a covenant and how that impacts us. And as you listen, I want you to listen closely in this respect because maybe you're here single today. And again, we're learning a lot of things through our marriage relationship that relate to all relationships. But you know, I realized this morning as I was praying about this, I'm in covenant with two different people, only two, with my wife and with the Lord. Our relationship with the Lord is based on covenant. And as much as we don't understand covenant and what it means to our relationship with our mates, we don't understand covenant and what it means to our relationship with the Lord. And the better we understand covenants, the better we're going to understand our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we're in a new covenant relationship with, and the better we'll understand our relationship with our mates. So would you pray with me in starting? I, I just, God, I want to confess, I'm, I've got an assignment ahead of me this morning that is way beyond my ability. But I want to thank you, Lord, that... Uh, You've never really given me the responsibility of doing it, just proclaiming it. What's needed is the transformation at the deepest part of our being and the way we think. And Lord, I want to ask you today that you would be pleased to use these truths today to help us better understand our relationship with our mates and our relationship with you. Would you speak to us personally where it applies to us today? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, this is going to be a message this morning that's not going to be go to this verse, go to that verse. It's going to be full of truth. It's going to be full of, as we speak about covenant, you'll understand, you'll see all kinds of truths that relate to it. Uh, but my goal this morning is really help us understand a covenant. Now, remember this. We're going to study a practice that was done in another part of the world thousands of years ago uh, that seems to us like it's irrelevant to us. That's not true because we are in covenant today. <laughs> so we're gonna go to this practice that we here in the States totally are, don't relate to or understand. We're gonna go to that and help us understand the kind of relationship that we are in today with, with our mates and with our Lord. Covenant is the strongest word in any language to define a relationship and how people relate to one another. Um, the closest we can come to it is a contract. It's the closest word we have, but it's more than a contract. Let me, let me show you the contrast between a covenant and a contract. First of all, a contract we exchange property. In a covenant, we exchange persons. For instance, 
If I go to the car dealership and I want to buy a new car and I got a salesman there, and we say, hey, I want that car, and we go into the office, they pull out the contract, and here's the deals, you get this, you get that, you get these services, you get this car, in exchange, you give me X amount of money. So I give them some of my property to get some of their property, and there's an exchange of property, and I walk out, and in a city the size that we live, probably never see that salesperson again. But in a covenant, it's an exchange of person. Let's say I'm a single person and I walk into that dealership and I want to buy a car. And that salesperson, I fall in love with. (laughs) And we build a relationship and now I want to get married to them. And now what happens is, is now we're exchanging our persons, my very being and everything I have becomes theirs and their very being and everything they have now becomes mine. I am yours and you are mine. And now they walk out of that dealership after they get married and guess what? They live every day of their life, the rest of their life with that salesperson as their mate because they're in a relationship with them. So a contract, when you think of prenuptials, isn't that what it's all here? This property, that property, it's all about property. A covenant's all about persons and the exchanging of my very being and giving it to that person and them giving me them and all that they are. There's a second way we differ from in one another. In a contract, it involves promises while a covenant involves oaths. So this is what happens. I get to the end of that contract and what happens? I sign my name on the contract. That's my promise to do everything I can to be faithful to the terms in the contract. But an oath does this, it upgrades a promise. Not only is it me coming giving my word and signing my name and promising I'll do everything I can do to it, but an oath upgrades that promise by calling upon God and bringing God into it and saying, God, I'm trusting you to help me be faithful to this covenant as well as to hold me accountable when I don't. You see, covenants and contracts are very different. The very word for covenant, in Hebrew means cut. It means to cut, you know, like scissors, cutting a piece of paper. But it came from the practice in covenants, which we're going to call blood covenants, which marriages. There's different kinds of covenants, but I'm talking about blood covenants now. In a blood covenant, they would cut an animal in half as a sacrifice for two reasons. One, to ratify it. Ratify means it becomes Uh, This thing becomes official. (laughs) Uh, uh, You know, it's locked in. It's official. The the animal ratifies it. But they also picture for those going into covenant four different things about the new relationship that they're moving into. So in a covenant, what they would do is this. They would cut covenant to cut the animal in half. They'd set one part of the animal here, one part of the animal here, so that the blood would flow to the middle 
and would form what they call a pool of blood or a pathway of blood. Now putting it in the marriage context for a covenant, what, what they do is now they take hands and they walk together into the middle of that pool of blood and they stand right there in the blood and they recite the terms. Remember a covenant defines a relationship we call them vows today. They recite the terms of their relationship, the vows together, right there in that pool of blood, in that pathway. And then what they would do is they would make an incision in their finger with a knife and rub some powder into it so it would form a scar. And that scar served as a reminder of the covenant so every time they saw it, they would be reminded of the agreement that they've made with this other person. Aren't you glad we use rings now? <laughs> For those who don't like the sight of blood or pain, rings are a much greater option. But it serves the same purpose to remind us of this relationship that I'm now in with this other person and the terms that I've agreed with them to live in light of. Pictures four things. I'm going to tell you what the four are, then we're going to break the four up one by one and tell you what they mean. The first thing it pictures for us is the death to self and the two becoming one. I, I said this a couple weeks ago when I introduced the series and mentioned covenant. The word covenant and death are intimately tied together. To cut is the sacrifice, the death of the animal. Death and covenant go hand in hand. And the picture that is being drawn by this sacrifice of this animal is to show me, first of all, that I've died to myself and now the two of us are becoming one. Second of all is death to the independent life. Thirdly, that the terms of this agreement are to last until death. And then finally, the death penalty for breaking the terms of the covenant. I want to take each one of those one at a time and show you maybe how they relate to us. Let's start with the death to self and the two becoming one. This is the heart of our whole series, by the way, the mystery of marriage, the two becoming one, this great mystery that talks about in Ephesians 5 and we learn that the mystery is not just that a husband and wife, the two become one, but Christ and his church <laughs> have become one. That's the great mystery in Ephesians 5. And so again, as we talk about marriage, we talk about a relationship with the Lord, there's a death to the self and the two becoming one. We learned often in the book of Ephesians about that we are one with Christ. That's the heart, that's covenant language. It's the fact that I have died to myself and now I am one with Jesus in a one relationship with him where his spirit now lives in me and my spirit is in him. And in marriage, God joins together. The two is one in one new relational unit and in one spirit together. So like the human body, many parts, one body. Marriage is the same way. Two different people, one relationship. They're one new unit. And just like the body is interdependent upon the different parts, 
as I need that part and that part needs the other part and they all work together smoothly with each other in marriage, the two becoming one requires the two of them working together as one. Kathy, thank you. I got to give you credit for this. If you're watching on TV today, I might have taken credit for myself, but since you're here, I'll give it to you. But marriage is a dance. The oneness is a dance. It's how two people come together and dance through life together as one. You know, it's a part and a counterpart, and we'll learn more about that and how we relate to each other. In a dance, what happens? You know, if Kim and I are dancing, uh, and if we were to dance smoothly, Kim probably can, but I can't. But you know, I take a step to the right. What does my counterpart does? She takes a step to the left. You know, we're complementing one another. We're dancing together. We're learning to move together as one. And that's what marriage is all about. My relationship with Jesus is to bring my entire life together as one, together with him, or for me with her, or for you ladies with him, your husband. It's a relationship where now we're learning to bring our entire life into a dance. It's no longer the dance of me, it's no longer the dance of you, it's the dance of we, as we learn to dance together as one. So the first thing we learn is that we die to myself, and I should never look at myself again while I'm married to Kim just as myself. I'm a unit of one with her. We are one. So the first thing is we die to self and the two become one. Second thing, we die to the independent life. What this pictures for me, these two animals on the side, if Kim and I were to do it that way, first of all, not that that animal pictures the pet died and now I'm one with Kim. Now it also pictures the pet has died to living for himself and now he lives for that person he's going into covenant with and to the agreements that he made with that person. So now it's no longer about Pat living for himself. It's about Pat living for that other person, for Kim and Mike's sake, and for the terms, or we may call them the vows of our relationship. I, I tell couples when I marry them, the most important part of your whole wedding is the vows. That's the time when actually you're coming before God and man and your mate to agree with those terms that you're coming together upon a way we're gonna define our relationship in the future. And what this tells me is even if I have to die to carry out those terms and live for you, I'm willing to do it. It's the death of the independent life to live for the other person. And you know what? We often think, you know, hey, I'll take a bullet for Kim. You know, I'll stand in front. God will give me the courage to jump in front of that bullet when it comes that one time. But will God give me the grace in the middle of a ball game that really means something. Or maybe it might be in the middle of a Hallmark movie that is really touching your heart. And all of a sudden your mate needs you. Oh, wait a minute, man. 
I'll jump in front of that bullet, but don't tell me to turn off the ball game right now or to turn my attention from you to give you my full attention. You see, it's not just the dying, willing to die and take that hit for that person if I have to die. It's that willingness to live moment by moment, day by day, for the sake of that other person, and they are the priority, and everything else is put to the side for the sake of them. That means even when their behavior does not deserve good behavior in return. And some of us as mates know there's, there's seasons when it can be like that. There's days when it can be like that. I don't pay them back with bad behavior. That means I live according to the covenant which says I've promised to relate to them in this way. And how about when they don't meet your needs? And sometimes there's really good reasons and things that happen for why you can't meet your mate's needs sometimes is very bad and selfish reasons. But that doesn't mean that I pay them back by not meeting their needs. But it means that I'm living by covenant. I have made a promise to them before God and before man. And by the way, Covenants always did have witnesses, just like our marriages. You go to a wedding, your role is a witness. And part of a witness, let me encourage you, when you see those people living inconsistent with their promises you made, you can sit down with them and say, hey, can I have a cup of coffee? I remember you said this. I don't see that happening. That's your role as a witness in a marriage, not just to go get a meal afterwards. But our role as witnesses is to hold them accountable to what they promised to. And so when we're living in covenant with one another, the way I relate to my mate is totally based off of covenant. There's a third area, keeping the terms until death. That means this is a lifelong relationship. That's what covenant is. I'm in it for life. That means that when times get tough, covenants become kind of like that pressure cooker that kind of locks in the pressure <laughs> and it forces it into the meat or whatever you're cooking so that it comes out a little more tender and a little better. A covenant is that pressure cooker that locks us into place in that relationship so that when things get tough, my thoughts don't turn, how do I get out of here? But my thoughts turn to God, what are you seeking to do in me? What are you seeking to do in my mate? Lord, what are you seeking to do in us, the we dance, so that we can live in the covenant you've made us to live in? Now, the scripture does talk about two exceptions to that. Uh, adultery is one of them, and I think specifically unrepentant adultery. Jesus gave that as an example of, uh, you know, um, leaving their mate except for when there's adultery. And then the other one, Corinthians talks about when the unbeliever leaves the believer, they're not under bondage regarding that. The scripture does give two exceptions to that in the covenant relationship. And I do think, and so does our leadership at Moraine, there's also some wisdom for a period of separation for the purpose of healing. 
when there is extreme abuse, whether that's verbally or physically, that there may need be a time to separate uh, for various different reasons, not to end the relationship, but sometimes separation is for the purpose of healing, not for the purpose of punishment. And so when it comes to a covenant, and you know, let me encourage you something, guys. Uh, This next one, along with the penalty of death, there's people who are concerned they can lose their salvation if they don't do it all right and I sin and I don't get it all right in time. That totally fights against the nature of a covenant. The terms that God has agreed to with us last until death. That's the reason for those of you that understand this, that's why I'm a dispensationalist rather than reformed. Because the covenant that God made with Israel, for him to break it means that he's worthy of death. God makes terms until death. And God holds a person accountable and worthy of death when they break it. And so I want to encourage you to think maybe I can lose my salvation because maybe I screwed up here in my walk with the Lord. God is faithful to his end of the covenant. It's not based upon my behavior. It's based upon his loving kindness, which means he loves to keep his promises. And he does that because his compassion for us and his love for us. Understanding the nature of covenant is so important in understanding our relationship with the Lord and that he keeps those terms until death. And that's the way we are to be in marriage. And then finally, it's the death penalty for breaking a blood covenant. That's the price for breaking a covenant. That's the price that Jesus paid for me. (laughs) And Jesus paid for you for breaking the covenant with God. That's what sin is, you know. Uh, Breaking God's laws and not doing it his way, falling short. And that's the penalty for breaking a covenant. That's why Jesus had to die for us. He had to pay my penalty. The penalty of breaking a covenant is death. And Jesus paid that for me. And when you're walking in relationship and when you are making that covenant and you're standing between that animal that's been sacrificed and died, in a sense you're saying, what happened to this animal, may it happen to me if I break the terms of the covenant. You see, the morality and the accountability and the consequences of a covenant skyrocket way beyond that of a contract or a commitment. A covenant is something that is so unique to our culture, so at the heart of God and the way he relates with us and the way he calls us into a marriage relationship. So as we go to communion this morning, I want you to think about our relationship with the Lord now in the context of a covenant. If you may be here and you say, man, I don't even know if I know Jesus. Well, bottom line is, is that God has set up a holy righteous standard, which is himself 
which we see in Jesus that's revealed in his word and anybody that falls short of that standard which he revealed in his covenant is guilty and worthy of death. And the Bible says every one of us have sinned. And what's the wages of sin? The wages of sin is death. That's covenant language. That's why it's death. And so I've broken the covenant. We've all broken the covenant. We've all fallen short of what God has called us to. But Jesus, and actually God out of his love for you and me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his only begotten son to die for you and me so that we wouldn't have to perish, but we could have eternal life. It's when we turn away from trusting ourselves and what I can do to try to live up and be good enough and religious enough and moral enough, and I put my trust in the cross and Jesus and what he did to die to pay for my sins and raise again to, to live for me, to give me his righteousness. At that moment, God puts to my account the very righteousness of Jesus. And so now he doesn't look at Pat's performance, but he looks at Jesus' performance and Jesus' righteousness and accepts that in my behalf as his gift. And as we go to communion this morning, communion is for believers. And if you don't know Jesus, make today the day that you put your trust in Jesus and you acknowledge, God, I'm worthy of death. I'm worthy of an eternity in hell. I'm worthy of your wrath and judgment. But thank you that Jesus took it for me. And when I put my trust in Jesus, like I said at that moment, Jesus paid my penalty. And now the promises of the new covenant, look at what Ezekiel says. This is what God promises us in the new covenant. By the way, you know what a synonym, what covenant is? Testament. Did you ever hear your Bible, New Testament, Old Testament? <laughs> Basically, they're, they're pretty close to one another in meaning. And we learn the details of this New Testament, this new covenant relationship in the New Testament, which helps unfold and help us understand the details of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and what God had with his people. And this is what he promised Israel, which I still believe is going to come because God is faithful to his promises. But it also is a part of us because these promises were made to, to Jesus, the seed of Abraham as well. And when we came to Christ, we enter into this new covenant and we enter into the blessings of this covenant. And it says this, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness. The first part of this covenant, forgiveness of sin cleansing us from our sins. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Hold it there for a second, Pete, before you move on. So first of all, he's gonna, he's gonna clean me up, gonna forgive my sins. He's gonna take out that old heart that I had, that old inner part of me, the old man that wanted to live for self and really didn't care about the things of God. All he wanted to do is myself. And so he's going to take that old part out and he's going to give me a brand new heart that's made after his heart that loves God and loves his commands and loves his way and wants to live his way. Then he goes on and says this. 
And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. So here he is, he forgave my sins, he took out the old heart, he put in a new heart, and he placed his very spirit inside of that new heart. And what does the spirit do? Causes you to walk in my statue and you will be careful to observe my own. You know what the Spirit does? He's the cause of my obedience. Again, I said at the start, what's new contemporary thing to say? You make better choices and greater commitments, then you'll be walking the Lord right now. The Spirit of God is the cause of my obedience. And my hope and my trust and the one I turn to when I need to lay down my life for my wife, when I need to stop thinking about me and thinking about the dance of the we, when, when, I, when I'm seeking to live according to the covenant with my wife rather than her behavior, her needs, you know, and the way she responds to mine and things like that, when I'm looking daily to lay down my life for her, I'm looking to the Spirit because He's the one that's going to cause me to walk in God's ways. He's going to be the one that makes me careful to even be concerned about it. And I want to encourage you, change your way of thinking. That's what Romans 12 tells us, to thinking that obedience comes from me and my greatest efforts and my greatest commitments and my best choices to recognizing that obedience comes from the Spirit. And when I believe that in my head, in my heart, what's going to happen? I'm going to turn to the Spirit. If I don't believe that and know that in my head, I'm going to turn to myself and try to make greater choices and greater commitments. What's going to make it possible for you and me to live with our mates in covenant and not only with our mates, but with our Lord who's detailed out the terms of our relationship with him and the word of God, particularly the New Testament. And when I find myself in, and I, Lord, I, I need, this is what you're calling for me of, and I need to turn to the spirit of God and say, Lord, live out the resurrected life of Jesus within me. Now, I'm not talking about a passivity. We've talked about this before. My understanding is a deep dependence and a due diligence. We deeply depend upon the Spirit of God to do within me what I can't do for myself, but I step in the direction of what God calls me to do as I walk in due diligence depending on His Spirit. And here's the good news. Covenant, remember? Jesus died to pay my violations against the Lord and against my wife. But he ever lives to fulfill his promises. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> he not only, that, you talk about the language of covenant, 2 Corinthians 5, he died for all that all might live for him. Isn't that what covenant's all about? I died to myself and my independent life to live for the person I'm in relationship with. 2 Corinthians 5 said that Jesus died for all that everybody might live for him. This is covenant relationship. This is what we're in with the Lord. And he lives now to cause me to walk in his ways. And he lives now to cause me to be careful to observe his commandments. And he lives now to live his life out through me by his spirit. We sang it earlier. 
Lord, be magnified in me. That's, that's the hope. It isn't me living an excellent life that's going to magnify God because of my great life. It's the indwelling Jesus living his life through me that magnifies the Lord. It's the one who does the work that gets the credit. If it's me shining myself up so other people are impressed with my life, who gets the credit? You do. Good job. But what if it's a broken person who says, my only hope of ever being the kind of husband or wife or servant of the Lord that I'm called to be is Jesus doing it in me. Who gets the glory? Jesus. So as we go to communion this morning, I want you to think about these few things. First of all, do you need to confess some violations to your covenant with the Lord or with your mate? Are there things he's called you to in this book that you're not doing or you're resisting or you poo-pooed or you're rebelling against? Or are there things in your relationship with your mate? And I'm not just talking about committing adultery. When I lay down my life to live an independent life, that everything I do in my life is to be lived for her sake rather than my own. Start thinking on that level. Are there places I'm being selfish and I'm living for myself and actually using that person for my benefit rather than laying down my life? I'd encourage you this morning, dear communion, to come to the Lord, thank Jesus that he paid the price for those and acknowledge those to him. I second of all, I encourage you to do this. Where are areas that you're struggling with fulfilling your part of the covenant with the Lord or with your mate? Are there areas in particular that you struggle with? Man, I, I really wrestle with this part and I, I don't do that well or my own selfishness or my own flesh or my upbringing drives me this way when I know it should be that way. I want to encourage you. What, what do we just read in the new covenant? What do God... He'll cause you. He'll enable you. He'll give you what you need to do what he's called us to do. I love this little phrase I read. I can't even remember who said it, but it, it goes like this. It's uh, put up that one about the impossible. What is impossible for you is him possible. You catch that? <laughs> We get stuck on, it's impossible, I can't do it, I've tried it all my life. I'm just not built that way, I can't. Well, guess what? What's impossible for you is him possible because Jesus can do it in and through you. And we need to change the way we think because if I think it's impossible, then I'm just gonna walk around in defeat and say, what's the use? But when I recognize it's him possible, it's going to change who I turn to. It's going to change my hope. And it's going to change my reliance. And I'm going to return to the one who lives inside of me to cause me to walk in his ways and make me careful to walk in his ways. So this morning, take some time before the Lord. Lord, where have I vitalized my covenant with you and my mate? Lord, what are the areas I'm struggling with? and uh, turn to him, rely upon him to work a miracle in your heart. The Christian life is not about trying as hard as you can for Jesus. It's about letting Jesus live a miraculous life through you. 
and that can touch our marriages as well.